feel like I'm the better guy overall, all around. That's just that's just me. I don't care what the fans think, what casual thinks, or what box people think about. When, when I'm when I'm looking at myself and what I have to offer and what he has to offer, I feel like I'm more of an all around fighter. Does, does that include punching power too? Because that's definitely one of the areas he's looked at the strongest. What? Exactly. That's one of the areas he's looked at the strongest. That's why I say I'm an all-around fighter. And, and, and like in basketball, you have, you have athletic build, you have score, slasher, you have all-around. I'm all-around. He's more so with the athletic build. For the known for knockout. So I feel, I feel like we have a guy that's known for knockout. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where business is definitely about to pick up. So all those dark months when we were wondering what would happen, what wouldn't happen, this is our week. This is our week as boxing fans. We're going to get two fights that will dictate positions in the hierarchy of this mythical pound-for-pound list. This is the week where a lot of questions get answered. This is a week of... Two incredibly good fights with four incredibly gifted boxers. Yeah. Um, Fights where you go one way, then you go the other. You watch one in action, you go, he's got to win. And then you watch the other in action and go, oh, he's got to win. That's where we want to be as fans. I don't think there are any diehard fans on either side here. I think this is one of those times where whoever wins, wins. I don't think there'll be any acrimony if the decisions are fair, you know, Will it be a stoppage? Will it be points? We just want it to be clear and un- unambiguous, but with enough entertainment that we might want to see it again. And the reason I say all of this stuff is episode 174 was about things I love about the sport. And it's a bit of a heart-opening moment, right, where you say, these are the things I'm grateful for, things that I love, um, love being involved in the sport, love being around people, love talking to loads of interesting people that I've met through doing this podcast. Some of them I've met physically, some I've met virtually, but all really interesting people. And I don't think people understand how much I, I bug out on that and go, wow, that's crazy. In addition to, obviously, the platform of you know, my day-to-day friends and so on and so forth, I am eternally grateful to be in this position. Sometimes I feel a bit down. I'm like, oh, you know, when will the sport give us something? But this week, this summer, I think the sport's giving us what we need and what we deserve. So I'm grateful for everyone that's reached out about 174. I'm grateful for all the people who interact. I'm also grateful for the people who, who connect independently of me just because of their love of boxing. Because this podcast is really for people that love boxing, people that want to understand a bit more about boxing, a bit more than what the corporate outlets will give you. And also people who want to be part of a community that's really based on integrity. That's really what this is about. As I've said, I've been doing this nearly four years. And not one scandal has come out involving me. Not me nicking money, not me harassing people in the DMs. None of that because, you know, I prize integrity above all else. And hopefully people buy into that as well. And, you know, that's what makes the product stronger and hopefully more honest. So once again, guys, grateful for all the feedback, the support, the love. It is always appreciated, I promise you.
Now back to our regularly scheduled programming where we, we talk about all things boxing and all things to be happy about. So if I'm honest, uh, when I look at Stephen Fulton versus Naoya Inoue, I can't even say it properly. Now that they're weighed in, had a good look at them, and now we know that this fight's real. So by the time you guys listen to this, we're, we're into sort of like the 24 hours leading into the fight. Um, not only that, you know, if you listen to it later, then you'll have the benefit of hindsight when saying this. But one thing we can all agree on is this is an intriguing fight because it wasn't, it wasn't a collision course. So when we come to talk about Spencer Crawford in the next episode, that's a collision course. That has been coming for a long time. At first, we thought it might be Thurman. We thought Thurman might have a bit too much for Spence. And then, obviously, Spence ascended to the top. And then Crawford followed rapidly. Once Crawford saw he had a viable foe, he was like, let me get to 147. So credit to both men for setting up that collision course because that's what we love as fans when we think, you know, the fight is inevitable. And credit to the two men for making it. This one's somewhat different because... Now, Fulton's at Super Bantam, and he's, he's been good. Not necessarily imperious, because he's not designed to be, you know, that one-punch monster, but he's been so good that he's been able to outclass most people. And so you're looking at him going, 122, he'll move up to featherweight. Um, we didn't know what Inoue would do. Most people said Inoue can stop at one, 118. They said, guys, he can stop at Bantamweight, and he's, you know... He's, a sh he's not a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame, but he's in the discussion for the Hall of Fame. Um, I never felt that way because I just think two wins over an aging Denaire. Eh. Eh. I'm a weight drain, Jamie McDonald. Eh. Um, Jason Maloney, who seemed to just arrive and disappear like in the blink of an eye. So we weren't necessarily sold on that because we didn't have someone as a wider boxing community we could look at and go, Okay, he's fought another guy who's really good and is in his prime too. So we get that now with, with the new way. We get that where he's moved high, high enough in weight where we're like, okay, the power's not going to be as decisive as it was before, maybe. Um, he'll be dealing with a bigger guy, which looks to be the case. And if Donaire took him 12, you hope Fulton will take him 12, right? So this is just a fight that's intriguing because it's kind of come come on to us out of nowhere. Like it's a it's like a bonus. Like this is literally boxing giving us something extra, and you know we should be grateful for that. So you look at the two men, and it's it's matador and bull, isn't it? In many ways, um, if you really strip it down to what they're good at, um, Fulton, you know, timing, control of distance and space. Um, Inoue, you know, ability to set traps, reading situations, fearless in attack, prepared to take one to give one. And when he gives one, he makes sure that it's deadly. Um, just one of the best eyes for a shot we've seen in a long time, if I'm being honest. So what I propose is just keeping it really simple. So we'll just discuss Fulton, discuss Inoue, and then look at how if you take those attributes that each man has, how that plays out in a fight, that's not necessarily how the fight will go because you've got to factor in um, context, right? So the two personalities involved, Fulton traveling to Japan, being in Japan, a Japanese crowd, all the sort of intangibles you can't measure, but you can have a, a full and frank assessment of what each fighter brings to the table. And 
probably easiest to start with Fulton, seeing as he's the man with the belt. It's weird because I look at I look at Stephen Fulton and I see elements of like Jerome Ennis, right? That they both have that 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 incredible skill of managing distance and position. Now, I I I think if you said to me summarize boxing in one ex- one sentence, one phrase, boxing is simply the control control and manipulation of space. Yeah, people can argue about all this other stuff, timing and stuff. If someone's not there to be hit, nothing else matters. It's as simple as that. If you're not there to be hit, doesn't matter what the other person brings. And so, really, that's what you want to do, right? Hit and don't get hit. So it is really the control and manipulation of space. You're not going to see many better than Jerome Ennis, and you're not going to see many better than Stephen Fulton. Um, they're still in their physical prime where you can be, they, they, they use the expression twitchy, but you can be a quick mover, right? And I like how Fulton does that. I think when Fulton respects you, and he, when he feels he's going to be challenged in a fight, he brings out his full skill set, and the key part of his skill set is actually that ability to, to do everything off the jab, to establish control with his jab, with his distance, with his timing, and he just establishes that, and his jab's it's wonderful, and I think you'll see against Inoue where he holds a three-inch reach advantage, you'll see that will be the difference in the, the early parts of the fight because Inoue likes to establish his jab as well, but we'll come on to that. But Fulton's got an incredible, incredible jab. And you wonder how dangerous he'd be if he had the power of someone like a, a Manny Pacquiao, you know, that sort of nasty sort of brick fist type power. But he's incredible at what he does. There's an elegance to it. Um, it's not a 100% textbook, but in Wahid Rahim, his trainer, he's got someone who's helped him figure out who he is in the ring. So he's got a clear identity of who he is in the ring. And that's what I've liked about him, just watching him. I think the Daniel Roman fight was, was good in terms of how he used his jab to establish dominance. But I actually quite enjoyed what he did with, with Figueroa, who who loves to bully people, but he was able to use his jab to, to calm Figueroa down to an extent, as controversial as that decision was. Another gift that Fulton has that people don't talk about so much, and like, I think good boxers generally have this, is body, bo- body awareness, bodily focus, body awareness will work. And it's this understanding of where your body is, where you can generate force from at any given moment. So, Fulton can look like he's not in position to punch, but still let a combination go, which will upset your timing. And you saw bits of that in the Figueroa fight, you saw bits of that in the Roman fight, but you saw it early in his career where I think it was, it's a little bit easier to show off that aspect of your game, but he, he did it a lot more then. At the top level, it's harder to do because you've got to really get a good read on your opponent, and you wonder if he if he could do that against the new way, would that be a difference maker in the fight? Now, the thing about all of this is there's no real power behind the shots. So what Fulton does to compensate for that is he accurately attacks weak spots. So if you watch Fulton's left hook, which I think is as good as Inoue's, if not as effective, but in terms of placement, timing, accuracy, as good as, it's a thing of beauty. Like He can establish so much dominance with that lead hand because he can go from a jab to a left hook and you won't see it. And then goes straight to the body. You know, 
not a murderous body puncher, but an accurate body puncher. And if you haven't done your work to condition yourself, you're going to feel those shots. But yeah, if you've got a young kid in the gym and you say, just watch Stephen Fulton. Watch him, understand how he boxes, understand how he thinks, and you're halfway there. He never presents a static target. And that's going to be a real problem. Um, because you've got one guy in Fulton who can, who can fight off relatively light feet. And you've got another guy in Inoue who likes to fight quite heavy-footed. So the key battle there will be getting that timing right. Can you time when Inoue plants his feet and move yourself out of position and then get him in his adjustment phase? That would be quite an interesting battle. But like I said, these are two high-order boxes here. So we're dealing with fine margins. This is like sort of 1%, less than 1% type margins here. But that's what I'd be looking for is that kind of that real ring IQ to, to use your skills to to negate opportunities for your opponent while creating some for yourself. We saw a bit of that with the Roman fight, but we should also remember Daniel Roman was trying to counterpunch a counterpuncher. So it gave Fulton time and opportunity. Brandon Figueroa didn't give him that time and opportunity. And Figueroa forced him into his kind of fight. And what's, what uh, Fulton was good at where he really made a difference, in my opinion, was he understood that Figueroa couldn't box going backwards. So as he was pushing him back, he realized nothing was coming back, and then that becomes your tactic, right? And that's good insight, that's good ring IQ, and that's good prep from your overall team to, to understand that and make life easy for yourself. Because what Fulton will want to get in this fight is time. Time to have a look, time to think. And what Inoue should be denying him is that time. But that is a... That's a task that is easier said than done. So, you know, I don't want to be here looking like, you know, I'm tending to sound like a Fulton fanboy because I do like a lot of what he does. But I also understand that if he feels overconfident, there's some situations where he finds himself just, just languishing on the ropes, you know, willing to fight fire with fire off the ropes. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen. In fact, what I'm hoping doesn't happen, I'm hoping he doesn't, become more Meldrick Taylor on us. And what I mean by that is there were points in the Taylor-Chavez fight where Taylor could have boxed and he could have created a, a clear gap between himself and who they say is a Chavez. But the Philly in him, and this is, this is the dilemma that I think Fulton will face at some point, the Philly in him, and Stephen Fulton has that dog in him, by the way, he's shown that he's double tough when he needs to be, may say, let me show Inoue he can't hurt me. Even though I'm racking up rounds, keeping it long, picking him off with the jabs, one-twos coming around the corner when he's not seeing it. Yeah, let me just stand here and dog it out with him, which you don't want to do. Uh, Nonita Denaire found that out. He found out that timing and ring IQ wasn't enough when you're 30-something years old and your legs don't move. You know, he found out the hard way. Uh, Jason Maloney found out the hard way that there's only so long you can keep him on the outside and move from, <laughs> from right to left before Inoue throws a straight right down the pipe. So I don't think Fulton wants to engage in, in either extreme, right? So he doesn't want to be all the way on the outside because Inoue will just walk him down and Inoue loves to come forward. But he also doesn't want to get into a, a dogfight because he may not necessarily win that because he hasn't got the power to back someone like Inoue up. So he's in that dilemma of, I need to pick my moments and I need to pick my spots to really you know, maximize the damage. That's how I look at it when I see... Fulton in my head and you know if you're in his corner that's what you're saying you're saying look you've got to use the body shots to slow him down yeah 
you know, you're not going to get what you want in the first round, second round, third round, but slowly you'll slow him down. You'll get him heavier on his feet. And when you get him heavier on his feet, that's when you use your footwork. Because remember, Fulton's, what, 143 rounds into his career now? And he's gone 12, what, two or three times? So he's got, he's got, the, he's got his sea legs, so to speak. I'm not, necessarily, I'm not sure that Inoue likes to go that far, but he's also shown he's capable of doing so. Would he be capable of doing that if he felt that he was losing? It's a question we'd need to, to look into and find out. But, you know, Fulton, just to summarize, everything you love in a boxer, speed, um, great distance control, understands angles, understands positioning, slick, you know, head is not there to be hit, knows how to ride shots when he has to, so he knows how to diffuse power makes great decisions in the ring. Um, unless he's overconfident, then he tends to language on the ropes. But in the Roman fight, he stayed off the ropes, and that's what made it hard. Um, but there's some outstanding questions of what's he going to do when someone comes looking for him who won't be deterred? Is Fulton going to be willing to get there and start pushing Inoue back? And if he does, will Inoue fire back? Can Inoue box going backwards? Because we know Steph can. So Stephen Fulton can box going backwards. You know, he knows how to leave landmines while he's retreating. You know, like he can take you out with body shots as he's going backwards. So there are weapons that he has, but it's really about will they work, number one. Number two, will he have that discipline to execute or will he fall into that kind of, like I said, Meldrick Taylor, let's have a tear up and I'll show you that Philadelphia is full of dogs. You know, and... I always go back to what Greg Hackett said, and if you've listened to the Greg Hackett episodes, you understand this. Greg Hackett always says this. Philadelphia gyms are tough kids who go into gyms to become tough men and tough women. And I imagine Fulton's going to be one of the prime examples of that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do come fight night because he's an intriguing prospect. Because remember, for him, a win makes him a star. He's got the option of going up. He's got the option of unifying, obviously, because there's still two belts outstanding. Inoue, if Inoue beats Fulton, takes two of these belts, Hall of Fame. If he then unifies at 122, first ballot Hall of Famer, then does he have it in him to go to 126? Because I think if he can do damage to Fulton at 122, he can do damage at 126. Now, when it comes to talking about Inoue, it's a lot easier, particularly for... For, for British fans, because we've, we've kind of seen him up close and personal, and he's demolished a few Brits as well. But I think he's he also appeals to that British sense of the, the plucky underdog. So we've, we've had a good chance to see him in the World Boxing Super Series, which he won. Um, being undisputed at Bantamweight was a big tick in the box. So there are loads of things that have made Inoue someone, particularly the hardcore's love, and he's been trumpeted by the hardcore for a long, long time. I don't necessarily think he has the best CV in terms of names. You know, like, no disrespect, but guys like Paul Butler, Jamie McDonald, and like I said, an agent, Anita Denae, you put Jason Maloney in there. These aren't names that strike fear into anybody. But the way they were all dispatched and handled, that's you know that Inoue's a very, very serious guy. So as soon as you say Inoue, what do people talk about? What they talk about is power. Yeah, that's it. Oh my God, he's a monster. That's why he's got the name Monster. 
But there are so many things to his game, his resilience, his stoicism in the ring. Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem to give in to his feelings or emotions. There's a job to be done, and he'll make sure that he does it. That's a skill, and that is a skill in and of itself. The ability to do that is is impressive. Um, but there are so many things when you get, you know, that layer down into what he does well. Where you look and you go, oh, he's a pretty dangerous guy. So, if you were to, to pigeonhole me as a trainer and say, when you train people, who do they come out looking like more? Fulton or Inoue? answer is Inoue. I love watching kids who box like Fulton. Um, I love watching that because I think when you do it at a good level, it's impressive. Um, elements of Ben Whitaker in that. I've said him a lot of times. But there are other people who pull that off. A lot of Kazakhs can do that. Especially they've got the, the long arms. Ukrainians are quite good at that too. I um, thought it was interesting that Usyk said he used to copy Prince Nassim Hamid when he was younger. And sort of points to my point. But I tend to produce guys who who box like Inoue. Because that's kind of how I do, number one. And that, that's kind of how I think about things in life. I want to be in your face all the time. And the only difference would be that I will teach you to box going backwards. Or at least just have enough that you're a threat going backwards. So when I look at Inoue, he's a guy that I just, I'm drawn to. I like him. I like what he does. I love that fact that he's always in front of his opponent. Um, he's probably not as intense as like a, a Figueroa in terms of just high volume and just raw aggression. And that will give Fulton a little bit more thinking time, time to get a read on what Inoue is thinking and doing. But he'll be right in front of him because he's not afraid to take a shot to give one. That doesn't mean that he's defensively loose. It just means that, look, at the top level, you're going to get hit and you've got to be okay with it. And he's okay with it. But his footwork's great. It's, it's not light, but it's functional. Get in position as quickly as you can. Stay there, work, move off. Love that. Um, deceptively good counterpuncher as well. You know, will draw your lead and then work his counter hook off that. If you're, if you're lazy, he'll do that. He, he knows how to play tricks with you psychologically, so he'll throw a few heavy shots with his left hand just so you think about that side and go, maybe I don't want to go there. And all along, he wants you to move onto his right hand. He did that with Jason Maloney. He had Jason Maloney circling clockwise. And when the moment was right, shot that right hand down the middle, practically turned his lights out. That's what makes him good. But what was probably most instructive about Inoue was watching him against Dene. Because I think in Dene, he had a guy who, who understood what it was like to be Inoue. Because we've got to remember, up until he got humbled by Rigondeaux, um, Dene was, was up there. You know, he was up there as a threat. I'm not saying he was the greatest, but he was up there. And then, obviously, he got humbled by, by Rigondeaux and probably one of the best boxing clinics you're going to see. And then his stock kind of fell. But what Denaire always had were those same attributes that, that Inoue has. You know, kind of that Mexicanish style, you know, like how Golovkin used to call himself a Mexican-style fighter. He has that. And so he was primed just to, to test Inoue to see what happens. And in the first fight, didn't he fracture his eye socket with a shot as well? Just to tell you how tough Inoue is, eye socket or cheekbone got fractured, carried on, won the fight, and then put it right in the second fight. 
But you saw that if you back Inoue up, there's nothing there. If you get him on the ropes, there's not much there. And that's probably going to give Fulton hope. That's a big ask. Like You've really got to back yourself. You've got to believe in yourself and your ability to make that happen because, whew, rather you than me, right? You, you, you're going to have to put your feet in the fire for that one. But I do find that interesting because it may actually just be a trap and you may say, I haven't needed to, but if I do need to, our box going backwards, and you don't want those counter shots. Because there are times where you'll see Inoue stepping with a one-two and then take a half-step back, bang, with the left hook. Because unusual for Japanese fighters, he loves a check hook. So if you're over-enthusiastic on him, but I don't think Fulton will be. So I don't think Fulton will rush in. So there may not be an opportunity for that check hook. So he may have to break him down with, with combination punching. And that's one of the things Denaire didn't do against Inoue. He just didn't punch in combination. So we didn't get to find out what happens when you throw three or four shots at Inoue. Can he cope with that? Will he come back after that? Or is he just a good counterpuncher of single shots? So many questions around that. But that Denaire fight did show that Inoue is, is mortal and maybe size does have an effect when you face him. So... One thing we haven't really talked about is his defense, right? It's, it's functional. But I, when I look at Inoue, I almost say that if you, if you could put artificial intelligence into someone and have them box, they'd probably box a lot like Inoue. They'd definitely defend like Inoue, where it would be just probability. Let me just reduce the probability of getting hit in the most efficient way possible. And he does that. And it's just really functional, um, double step back, then come back in. In that sense, he's a bit like Errol Spence. I don't know if you watch Spence. Spence is good at that sort of one or two steps back and then come right back in. Just when you think you've got time to breathe, he comes right back in off a double jab and then presses you again. And there's a lot of similarities between them. They're obviously different stances, but that ability to to get fighters to mentally check out. Uh, you saw it with Mikey Garcia against Spence. I think you saw it with Danny Garcia against Spence. Uh, you didn't see it with Porter. Uh, you saw it with Kel Brook as well. Spence puts that much pressure on you. He suffocates you that much. And Inoue does something similar, where you check out of a fight, where you go, I'm not really trying to win at this point. I'm trying to survive. And then they can turn it up on you, because you're now not a threat to them. And they seem to have that, that great ring sense of knowing when you've mentally checked out. And I know amongst the, the Twitterati, there'll be talks about yeah, Denaire did this to Inoue. But my argument is, every shot that Denaire landed on Inoue, Fulton could land. Could land him easily. But Fulton can do a lot more. So that's going to be the scary thing for Inoue. Is you've got a guy here who can pretty much do it all. It's not going to hurt you, but it is going to frustrate you. And this is why I love this fight, because you're dealing with guys who are so fundamentally sound, man. They don't have weaknesses, really. Or if they do, we're going to find out in this fight what the weaknesses are because they're going to test each other. Um, I don't even want to call this the appetizer to Spence Crawford. I think this is pretty close to being at that level, if I'm being honest with you, in the same way that Viterbia versus Bivol would be. But we understand right now that boxing is being carried by the lightweights, the junior welters, the welters, and the light middles, right? Fact. 
that's where the action is. That's where if you want to make a few quid, if you want to make your case for the Hall of Fame, you're in that space right now. Because the heavyweights are flatter to deceive. I like heavyweights are flatter to deceive. Uh, super mids are flattering to deceive. Middleweights are flattering to deceive. Everyone's kind of letting us down, apart from the medium-sized guys and actually the cruiserweight, strangely enough. Although, we don't know what's happening with Reactor. But let's spin it back to, to this. How does this fight go? And the answer is, we won't know. We won't know till, till Fulton gets hit. We won't know until Inouye is frustrated for a couple of rounds. We're not going to know. But what we can say is, here are the key questions. Can Fulton control the distance for 12 rounds? Because he's going to have to. Can Fulton get to the body often enough that it deters Inouye? Yeah. Can Fulton stay off the ropes? Can Fulton control the fight with his jab? Can he come round the side of Inouye's guard? Can he do all of these things? And for Inouye, the question is, can he shut that distance down? Can he cut the ring off? You, you want to say yes, because he's always done it, and you know, the Japanese are meticulous in their preparation. You know, it always, when I watch Inoue train, it always reminds me of that, sort of, you know, you'd watch these old videos on the Toyota production system, uh, what they call like Kaizen and stuff like that, where you keep re-engineering something until it's better. So every iteration, you know, in this case, every fight, you should be X amount percent better. And what you're looking for are those marginal gains. Can I be more efficient here? Can I be more efficient there? And I think what Fulton's going to find is is a really compact and efficient puncher. In fact, that's where they contrast. And so this fight's going to be very interesting because if you look at Fulton, he's quite loose when he throws his shots. He, he, he more whips his shots in because you know, he's got those long arms. So he whips them in. He can whip around the guard. He can whip around the elbow. He can whip an uppercut in from further out than you'd imagine. All that kind of good stuff, right? Whereas, look at Inoue, really compact puncher. It's just mechanical advantage. Sometimes what he does is he carries his weight into the shot with him, which is a skill of itself. Like, you'll see him throw a left hook, and his weight will shift from left to right with that hook. And so it's not just the arm hitting you, it's the whole body force that's going to hit you, and that's what makes him effective. So can he get those shots off, or will Fulton's movement just keep negating the bite of the shots. Because if Fulton can ride those shots, he can last longer mentally. He's not going to check out. You know, so you're looking at the respective corners, and Inoue's job is seek and destroy. Establish his power as early as he can, and then use his combinations to break down Fulton and see if he can get any joy that way. But like I said, Fulton's a dog. I don't think you want to be from Philly and be outdogged by anyone. And so he's got to fight that urge to do the Meldrick Taylor. Whereas Inoue's got to stay on him. I don't think Inoue can do much going backwards. I don't think Inoue wants to necessarily be setting traps on the back foot either because Fulton doesn't bite. Fulton's the sort of boxer who will, who will step in and step out immediately. And as he steps in, you may throw a lazy left hook and he steps out catches you over the top with the right hand. He does that often enough, man. He can make you gun shy. And then you flip it around and go, well, Inoue's the kind of guy that he can double jab right hand his way in. And once he's in there, he's finding every nook and cranny. And one of the things I like about Inoue is 
he doesn't always hit you where you are. Like he'll put the shot where he knows you're going to be. So you watch him go, why is he aiming at the top of the head? And suddenly the fighter pulls his head up. Bang. That accuracy, that clean, that clean punching that he's got. And this is why people call him the monster, right? Because it's clean punching. And it's punching you have to respond to. It's punching you have to deal with. You can't run from it. And you definitely can't run for it, from it for 12 rounds. So at some point, Fulton's going to have to dig in. But you can't just dig in where Inoue is. You've got to force him back. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. You force him back, right uppercuts, right hand over the top, right uppercut, right hand over the top, get right back on his chest again, force him back, bang, bang. Now throw a left hook in there. Bang, go to the body. There are those sequences. And you'll see Inoue do the same. If he can get Fulton on the ropes, it's going to be rough for Fulton on those ropes because you're going to take those shots. And so this is a good time to touch on the controversy of the hand wraps. So British boxing, you're not allowed to stack your hand wraps, right? So that means you can have no tape on the skin, right? You can't. And so people say, why is that important? If I can tape up my hand before I put the wrap on, I've stabilized, I've stabilized my bones, I've stabilized my joints, right? Pretty much everything's stabilized in there, and it's solid. And then I put the initial bandage on, and then I stack it with more tape, right? So now I'm building this really, really dense structure because I'm packing it down. That's why they call it stacking. You're packing down. You're getting all the air out, so no air can come in. So what you're building, if you do enough layers, is a pretty tight wrap. Um, it keeps your hands super stable. So for hand safety, it's unbelievable. And I know a lot of kids who do it that way. Like if you're going to reuse a set of wraps, like you do if you're an amateur, you'll stack just for longevity, to be honest, and for that additional support. Now, in the UK, it's not allowed. And in other jurisdictions, it's not allowed, but it's allowed in Japan. So it's not a surprise that Inoue wanted to fight in Japan because when you're a power puncher, you want every advantage you can get. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got punches, gloves on. Maybe he'll have some razors on or MXs. He'll, so he'll swing things you know, as, as much in his favor as he can. But I see people making a big fuss about it. It's a storm in a teacup because they went to Japan and knew what the rules were. Right? I wouldn't be surprised if Fulton's corner stack as well. Because wouldn't you? If Fulton can throw his shots harder now because his hands are more stable, wouldn't you take the advantage? So both men have it. Um, I don't think it bothers those guys because you've got to remember um, Guys like Fulton are sparring guys like Devin Haney. They're sparring guys like Tank Davis. They're sparring bigger guys anyway. So big punches don't phase guys. So this is something I, I do explain to people who don't immerse themselves in boxing on a day-to-day -day basis. They say there are weight classes for a reason. It's understandable. But in terms of training, little guys get hit by big guys a lot. So psychologically, it's not a shock. That's why they tend to be more resilient when they fight than the bigger weight classes because they're so used to, if you're a ban super bantam, you're used to fighting lightweights and junior welters. You know, in some cases, if you're not training for a fight, so let's say Fulton gets up to 135, right, when he's not training, why can't he jump in with a Ryan Garcia? He can, and he often does. So the psychology of getting hit by bigger, stronger guys isn't a problem. Um, 
that's why I'm less worried about the hand wraps. I, I personally think um, stacking's okay, but if you're going to stack, then you might have to mandate more padding on the gloves to mitigate all these sorts of things. It's a balancing act. But if the rules are there, because I know you can do it in Nevada and you can do it in New York State as well. So if the rules are there, I see why they would do it. So really storming the teacup, but it's a good way to, to draw more attention to the fight. In terms of who I think will win, my instinct's always to go with skill. But I like someone with a bit of pop in their shots. I'm still going to say Fulton to win, but that's more, you know, that's more my being influenced by Greg Hackett than it is, you know, 100% confidence. I wouldn't be surprised if Inoue won. I wouldn't be surprised if Inoue stopped him. But I'd like Stephen Fulton to win. I think he needs a breakout moment, and this would be a breakout moment for Stephen Fulton. I think it's a shot in the arm for American boxing as well if he were to do this. Uh, yeah, before I sign off, probably got to touch on some other boxing stuff. You know, you guys have listened this far. I can't just leave you hanging on that point. Just wanted to touch on on the Maxi Hughes versus George Cambosa's situation. Um, haven't seen the whole fight, saw highlights. I can't tell you who should have won. It felt like a close fight. It felt like a 115 either way sort of fight. Some of the scorecards looked atrocious. But Maxi Hughes paid a heavy price for having no promotional muscle in that fight. Uh, from what I understand, Cambosas is a Debella fighter. So there's always going to be that kind of unsaid expectation that Cambosas would win because you can put Cambosas in with Shakur Stevenson, you can put Cambosas in with Loma, make a good payday without thinking too much about it. Uh, what were you going to do with Maxi Hughes? Nothing. No disrespect, nothing. If Maxi Hughes had pulled, they'd have done that fight in, United, in the United Kingdom. Why the hell wouldn't you? Debella's not stupid. But then who's going to broadcast it? Could you get Sky to broadcast it? Probably. Worth it? Maybe. But Maxi Hughes paid a heavy price for not having her in, in his corner. That's the lesson. When, when you don't have that promotional muscle, you're, you're in this really horrible position where no one's going to invest in you and no one's going to bang the drum for you. That's why Lou DiBella isn't committed to a rematch. Because he's like, well, my guy won. I'm going to go and make some money. If we don't make any money, we're going to come back to Maxi Hughes. So now Maxi Hughes is just an opponent. That's a real shame because no one's got a bad word to say about Maxi Hughes in boxing. Respected and grafted his way up that ladder. It wasn't easy. Like, you look at his career... And he's really come through the mud. So to get jobbed like that, I see why he'd be hurt, but it was a close fight. That wasn't like a Daryl Williams, Zach Parker type injustice where it ruined both people's careers, actually, because people never took Parker seriously after that, and Daryl just didn't want to box after that. And so I don't know what you do. I don't know. These judges are always going to do this. Boxing is always going to be about where you can make the most money. And you just got to make your peace with that. So I feel for, for Maxi, because obviously I know a lot of people who know him. So we've got mutual friends in common. Lovely guy. Um, what do you do now if you're Maxi Hughes is the question. You know, who do you fight now? Uh, the answer is I don't know. But hopefully they can find him a fight. Um, I'd like to see him jump in with. One of the up-and-coming 135 guys. Let's, let's, let's see him have a good run on his way into retirement because he's not getting any younger, is he? So 
call a spade a spade. But I do feel for him. But it's an example of what happens when you have no promotional muscle. Hearn won't care. Hearn's like, oh, well, you lost the IBO title. I'll call you if I need you. Yeah, that's what Maxi's done. So wasn't a great decision, but maybe he was forced into it. Maybe he had no options. Maybe Hearn said, I ain't got anything for you. So if you can go over there and get it, cool, go and get it. That's a real shame. I wish boxing had more structure to it so people knew what their position was, what their rights were. You know, you got a fair crack at these things, but boxing will forever be boxing, guys. Right. I'm going to get one of these bugbears off my chest. Um, sorry, Dev. Um, Queensbury have to get it this time. So, number one, Queensbury have another show in Telford. Like, Telford isn't a hotbed of British boxing. Stop going to places that are cheap. Like, if you're going to go somewhere like Telford, you may as well do a show in High Wickham. You see what I mean? Do a show in High Wickham. Um, do a show in, in Lichfield, for God's sake. Uh, Burton-upon-Trent. Do one in Basingstoke. There are all these other locations you could do a show where it would probably pull more people in, but Telford doesn't make any sense to me. Um, thoroughly a waste of time. Uh, I won't be watching it, to be honest. I just I don't see the point of Queensbury doing that kind of show. It's not, it's not why fans dedicate time to watching boxing. Just my view. Don't think it's a great card. Don't think it's a great show. Um, it's like a summer blow off. Just trying to drag the fans into something when we've got better stuff to do with our time. My take on it. The second Queensbury bugbear is how the hell is Anthony Yard fighting a TBA? So we know Joe Joyce is fighting Gillet Zhang. Yard is one of the Queensbury jewels. Who the hell is he fighting? Why is he having a stay busy fight? That's what I don't understand. Why is he having a stay busy fight? Why isn't he fighting a Lyndon Arthur? Why isn't he fighting a Craig Richards? Why isn't he fighting? Why isn't he fighting someone like that? Why isn't he fighting a Spider Richards? Anthony is at the point in his career where it should never be TBA. Never. Yeah, it should never be TBA. None of those guys. Dan Aziz shouldn't be fighting a TBA. Josh Barty shouldn't be fighting a TBA. Craig Richards shouldn't be fighting a TBA. This lets me know that there's no plan. So there's no plan. I don't care. I'm not watching. Yeah. Now, if they say, look, we're working a big fight for Anthony Yard, then I might give them a squeeze. But right now, it feels like he's just going to have a stay-busy fight, get himself up the rankings, have another world title crack. And I'm like, no, just have some meaningful fights, man. <laughs> I mean, be in the doghouse for a bit for the British fans, man. Give us something for a change. That, that, that's all I'm asking. But, yeah, Yard versus the TBA at this stage in his career, I think, is, is poor form. I think it's poor promotion would be my take on it. Um, other thing I wanted to touch on was, is Anthony Joshua happy in Dallas? Because you see any picture when he's with the other goons, Spence, uh, Mel Charlo, Ryan Garcia, he always looks like a shrinking violet in those sorts of pictures. Like he's got imposter syndrome. Like he doesn't feel he belongs. Because you imagine you're in there with Mel Charlo, undisputed at 154. You're there with Spence, who's about to become uh, potentially undisputed at 147, with a stellar career having put himself through hell. And you're in the gym with guys like Frank Martin, who's potentially one of the next up. Might be a good opponent for like a Maxi Hughes. And you're Anthony Joshua. And you know in your heart of hearts you don't have what these guys have. And no matter how much time you're spending with Derek James, you know you're never going to have what these guys have. 
that can't be a happy experience for you to be in, especially when your whole career you've been the big dog in the house. Your whole career you barked and everyone listened. They fawned over you like you're a hero. Now you're not even the most experienced guy in your gym. You're not the guy in the gym people are going to come to and say, that's the top dog in this gym. You're not, and you're meant to be. That, that can't be a happy place, in my opinion. And then finally, uh, Devin Haney's really going to move up to 140 to fight Regis Progre. After all of that talk about Haney saying, I don't duck people, I'll fight anyone anyway, and Shakur's like, let's do it. Now Haney's like, I'm going up to 140 to fight Progre. And like I keep saying, Progre's not the guy that people say he is. He's not overrated, but he's not as good as people say. If he's a stepping stone to Teofimo, fine, I get it. But we need that guaranteed. Otherwise, why aren't you down there fighting Shakur Stevenson? What are you scared of? Why aren't you rematching Loma? What are you scared of? Because you're not going to do those guys out of money because they'll just fight each other. And there's you fighting Progre on an app. Sorry, Channel 429. Uh, what's the point? Like When boxing gets to this, where these guys aren't putting that work in, is disappointing. Ah, that's, the, that, that's the downside of boxing when you see Haney doing that, when there are so many options on the table for him in this weight class to cement himself as undisputed. But I can't be mad at him when I've said Tyson Fury is doing what Tyson Fury does. So I can't be mad too much, unfortunately. But we'll see, man. I think uh, off the top of my head, will 176 happen this week? I'll go to a Spence Crawford one, haven't I? So at some point that will come out, maybe Thursday. Uh, you know, Keep wishing, keep praying. But come back to what I said right at the beginning, guys. I am so grateful for the support. Um, you know, At a time where people are less interested in boxing, people are more interested in the podcast. It's getting shared around wider. Um, people are talking about it more. And I'm grateful for that because... You know, this is the definition of public service broadcasting, isn't it? Not a penny, not a penny drawn from anybody. That's quite powerful because when you deal with people who do this for a living, you never get the truth. You get what they need to say to make their money. I get to say what I need to say. And on that note, I'll tap out and say, take care, guys, and have a great day. Mm -hmm.